You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the director for Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, Joel Crawford, and the producer, Mark Swift. I am Puss in Boots. Holy frijoles. Hey, giant. You want to see something cool? Gracias, the legend will never die. And boots. You died. I have nine lives. And how many times have you died already? Uh, no. Boots and boots doesn't need a spotter. Watch. Uh-huh. Watch. A guy always lands on his feet. Watch. You are down to your last life. Mama Luna's always on the lookout for a new lap cat. I am no lap cat. I am Boots and boots. Not anymore. Meow. a person party, Pickles. That's your party. So this is where dignity goes to die. Living my feet on hey! You don't look like a Pickles. Well, you don't look like a cat. <gasps> Full disclosure, I'm a therapy dog. Want to run my belly? Hard buzz. Oh. They found me. Goldilocks and the three bears crying family. Make her talk. Excuse me, my darling. We're looking for the legendary Puss in Boots. Have you perhaps seen him? What's a Puss in Boots? He is me! Oh. Uh, normally, I have a sword. It's like a whole thing, you know? Okay. Get that cat. Dead or alive will be just right. Bounty hunters. Kitty soft boss, I need your help. Whenever I team up with you, things go wrong. Cool, another member of the team. I'm Puss's therapy dog. Definitely not. Finally, you need therapy. Yeah. Oh, I have got to learn how to do that. Lives flashing before your eyes. Pray for mercy from Puss in Boots. I don't trust you. Trust me. You gotta trust him. Look at those eyes. You call that cute? <gasps> and with the boss, am I doing it? Stop. You're gonna give yourself a hernia. Joel and Mark, thank you so much for talking to me about your incredible movie, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. First of all, congratulations on the Oscar nomination. I believe it's the first for both of you. Pretty incredible. Yep, it, it absolutely is. It's it's very incredible. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, and we're we're super grateful. The Oscar nominees luncheon was yesterday. Tell me all about it. Who was the person you were each most excited to to meet yesterday? <laughs> um, you know, for, for myself, uh, I was. Uh, really excited to meet the uh the daniels from everything everywhere all at once and um the co-director Daniel mercado and i uh got to chat with both of them and really kind of bond over a lot of uh uh similar uh <laughs> things we like and um it was just it was one of those things where you just 
I mean, the the whole energy of the the luncheon is fantastic because it's a bunch of really filmmakers who love what we do and we get to geek out together. Mark, what 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 about you? Yeah, no, I mean that that was one of the lovely things. It's like you know, obviously everyone knows Tom Cruise was there and Steven Spielberg was there, and so there's like these awesome iconic figures in our industry. But I also love is like. I'm sitting next to the guy who did her makeup, you know, on Wakanda. And he's telling me about his career and how he got into doing what he did. And it was a fantastic story. And so you meet different people. Like, and we're in animation. We, You know, in animation, we work in an office building. We're not on a Hollywood set. We're not dealing with a lot of the craft people that they do in live action films. So it's like a really lovely sort of outing for us to kind of see that side of the business, which we don't uh, typically uh, hang out with. I did want to say hi to Brendan Gleeson. Um, I didn't get the chance because he was all surrounded because he supports the same soccer team as I do. And it's not a big team. And so I knew we'd be the only two supporters of Aston Villa in the room. <laughs> maybe, I'm sure there will be other events uh, you can probably snag him at. I hope so. Yeah, maybe the BAFTAs, which there is coming go. up, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been so exciting to see people just loving your movie. In addition to great box office and the Oscar nomination, which both of those are incredible in and of itself, phenomenal reviews, and even like on Letterboxd, uh, one of the best reviewed movies of the year. Pretty wild. Uh, you know, it's been amazing because, you know, there were some people who weren't necessarily clamoring for Puss in Boots and are just bowled over by how much they love the movie. I know sometimes filmmakers try to stay away from reviews, reactions sometimes, but when did you first start to realize that people were having a special reaction to your film? I think we got a look, you, you, you know, we got a glimpse when we previewed the movie. And so the thing when you make a movie, we're in a room spending all our time together reviewing it and reviewing it and reviewing it. And so I think we start to lose a little impartiality. We don't really know. I'll, I'll be really honest. And so then we went out and previewed it very, very early where um, because of the schedule that our film was on, in order to get feedback, we had to show it. And I, we were over 50 percent in storyboards, which is kind of like, you, you know, you're given a glimpse behind the curtain, but a little bit too much when it's 50 percent storyboards. Uh, but we thought we had to do it anyway. And um, we got amazing reactions. And so that was the first time we thought like, Wow, even with this much in storyboard, people are staying with us. And the way we kind of made this film, it was um, most most of the stuff we put in early was early on in the movie. So that was, we had finished up early, but the second half of the movie was mostly in boards and people were staying with it, laughing. Um, really, you could tell they were totally attached to the movie. So that, that was, I think, the first glimpse of, yeah. hey, maybe we got something that works. It's it's been interesting with with Puss in Boots where, like Mark said, we were we were so close to it, and also we were very kind of honest with ourselves about, you know, where, where's the audience uh, for this because it's been over a decade since the the last movie. Um, there are people who are nostalgic for for the Shrek world and characters and and Puss in Boots, and there are other people who maybe weren't alive <laughs> for, that weren't born yet, uh, who were going to be introducing the character. Too. And so I think the coolest thing is seeing, you know, we, we're very conscious, like, let's make this for everybody, not a certain age, like really just make it for everybody. And um, for me, it's it almost feels like, as I've said it, like, 
there's been kind of like nine lives of <laughs> of Puss in Boots reaching the world. Like there was like Mark saying, like, you know, the, the first life being like the the when we previewed it. And then when when critics were responding so well to the movie, um, that was amazing. And then like seeing um, even the how like on TikTok, it blew up like all the the edits of the wolf and and how the wolf really found this like just uh, it really kind of reached everybody that character even going to some more recent things like um the panic attack which um in the movie was a surprising thing to go viral you know usually there's moments that from movies that go viral for being hilarious and funny or like badass action and like oh that's cool um, or being a meme, but seeing something that's so genuine and real and important be like really kind of celebrated and and by so many people online. Um, anyway, I could keep going. There's just been so many times where you go, wow, that this movie's connecting to people and surprising us how many ways it is. And, and we are so honestly surprised and delighted by the reaction, especially. You know, I have teenage boys going all the way through college and, you, you know, I've released movies before and, and you know, what they're, they're, they're interested, but they're not. And this one, they're loving, they're bringing their friends, their friends are all going. I'm hearing from their friends of friends. It's playing really well to that age group. And because my kids are in that age group, it's so delightful. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I have twin four year olds and I watched I watched it myself first uh, to review it. And, and I was like, man, I don't know. Is it, is it going to be too scary for them? They loved it as well. And oh, yeah, good. they weren't too scared oh. for it. So yeah, I think really it's hitting the whole, the whole spectrum, uh, which is pretty amazing. Hey, Daniel, watch out with your twins, man. You're going to be uh, having, having to hold them back from R rated movies in a few years time. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to go. My wife is the one who's like pumping okay. the brakes, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, to, actually to that, to that point about like, because I know that there, there's especially there's this kind of idea in animation where it's like there it should be for a certain age that there's certain things you can and can't do because it's for kids is the I'd say kind of preconception about animation for us as we were making this like we make this for us we we are like we want to enjoy all the humor in it um, that it's not like watered down or aged down. Um, but at the same time, still be appropriate for for kids, even just like challenging ourselves to tell the story in the most kind of elevated and sophisticated way and trust that the audience will come up to that level. And I think in doing so, one, um, you make a movie that hopefully doesn't torture parents <laughs> where you're going. They, they're enjoying watching it just as much as kids. But also, I, I think what's been cool is seeing how certain topics that, you know, this this movie um, approaches a lot of kind of more mature themes that are challenging for audiences. I think they're very healthy for audiences, but they're not the norm when it comes to animated movies, such as mortality. And on the flip side of that is the appreciation for life, um, anxiety fear and on the flip side of that is our, our themes of of connection and hope but the these themes that we said we could dig deep and trust that 
if a kid is watching this, they may not fully understand how to articulate what they're experiencing, but they're feeling the emotion of it because it's sincere. And at the same time, it is so important that as an adult, you're watching going, that's relevant to me. This is not just some simplified, you know, thematic material. And so I think that's what's been really cool is just feeling how it's connecting with everybody. And I would say, you know, just to add to that, you know, we make movies and topics that we're interested in. So when we took on Puss in Boots, you know, we didn't say this movie's for kids. What are we, what do we find interesting? What what areas do we want to see kind of up on a screen? And at the same stage, we're kind of childlike in some other ways, laughing at the goofiest jokes, you, you, you know, so I think we can <laughs> uh, bring ourselves down to a six-year-old level and laugh at, at, uh, hysterically at things. And then, as Joel says, deal with some things that are a little bit more mature, because that's some of the stuff that we've gone through in our lives, you know? Uh, well, let's let's dive into the production a little bit. I want to hear uh, more about the film. I, as uh, you guys have mentioned, you know, it's been 11 years since the first Puss in Boots movie. And I know DreamWorks has been trying to get this movie off the ground for for a long time. Why did it take this many years to to crack it? Uh, and, and what made you both sign on to the project? I, I think um, it's really hard to make movies. Uh, you, you, you know, um, I think. There's many movies go through development at DreamWorks and every studio and don't get made because, you know, you go down a path and you believe in that path. And ultimately, maybe it wasn't the right path at the right time. Um, and so I think there was a number of attempts because Puss in Boots is a great character. The studio were anxious to get him, get him out. One thing that all the passes shared, which I think was the thing that kind of grabbed us, was... Puss being on the last of his nine lives, which we thought was such a fantastic uh, place to start and gave us a great opportunity to dive in and, and see what our version of that would be. Yeah. And, and I think what, I mean, to DreamWorks credit, they weren't just going to release the, the next sequel just as a cash grab. Um, I think that what's, you know, I know it's been a long time and fans are like, come on <laughs> and give it to us already. But like the, the idea, like it, it's great that it's had all this time to like, to have really smart people come and go at DreamWorks and try and crack this. And as filmmakers, we have the, the um, bonus of, of hindsight through everything that people have learned. Um, but to us, I think something that, it felt like personal of why we were excited to make this on the surface. It's such a fun, absurd story about cats have nine lives. That's just silly. And that feels like a fairy tale. Um, but as in our conversations, we soon kind of connected with this idea that like, this is about how special one life can be. And, um, and we thought this is like such a fun, rich palette um, of a story to tell, a really ambitious one, but that you could you could enter in with with laughter, with joy, um, and then maybe get this kind of surprising emotion of how important life is. And, and I love that we were able to, in order to tell this fully rounded story, we had to start pushing a place where he has something to learn, you know, and. 
<laughs> we had so much fun sort of taking him down a peg or two because Puss has always been such a bright spot in all the movies. He's such a fun character. He's such a, you know, we think of him as a superhero, but we kind of put it through the lens of he is a rock star that maybe is a little bit too much in love with himself, you, you, you know, and to have him come out and sing a song about himself at the start of the movie just felt like a great place you're looking for what's going to take this character down at that point. So um, we had so and, much fun at the start of this movie with him. I'd say, and and only Antonio Banderas can play yeah. arrogant, cocky, and be so charming. Like you just enjoy Puss being so into himself. Yeah. It's, it's the magic that Antonio kind of captures with his performance that you're just loving <laughs> how how big of a, of a self-image he has. <laughs> and Antonio, by the way, is the sweetest guy. So that arrogance is not represented in real life. That's, that's called acting. Yeah. acting. <laughs> He's an amazing actor. <laughs> Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Well, of course, uh, my favorite thing about the film and many people's favorite thing is the visual style of this movie, which is just incredible. I mean, this is a gorgeous movie, kind of for the first time in, in the overall Shrek franchise, feels like a storybook come to life. Tell me about how you landed on the look and feel of this movie. Was that the starting point, like a storybook come to life? Yeah, the uh, I wish we had uh, Nate Rag, the production designer on here as well. Um, so I'll speak for him because he really he really helmed this look of like a fairy tale painting. And, you know, a big part of like what Nate kept pushing for is this, this idea that like, you know, when when the first Shrek came out, it, you know, CG animation was new and it was so impressive to get detail and kind of chase photorealism. And, you know, I think the audiences have evolved and um, become more sophisticated over the years that you kind of go, man, it's been so such a long time. How do we make a fairy tale for today? And um, it's just so great to be able to tell a story in a impressionistic way versus a literal way, because that's the beauty of animation, that you're you're creating a fantastical world. Why make it just like reality? Um, and so anyway, that, that was that Nate Rag really kind of felt found the the right balance of how graphic and how how much, you know, dimension you feel. In it. And I have to say, I love what it did for our movie, because, you know, you mentioned this at the start, Daniel, you know, what people ask him for the sequel, you, you, you know, it's been a long time from the very first images that we put out. I think it made people intrigued because we were doing something a little different. And yes, we were pushing the film in, in, in different ways and, and challenging ourselves along, along the way. But I felt lay, laying out that visual card allowed people to go, wait a minute, there could be something interesting here. It's not the same old same that we've seen before. And I think that really did 
help uh, introduce the film back in a way that people gave us a first shot. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts. Uh, I feel like, you know, of course, for so long, most of the major animation studios had a pretty defined look and feel. You could kind of just tell just by looking at the film whether that's DreamWorks or Disney or Illumination, whatever. I feel like most of these studios now over the past couple of years are shifting away, not just DreamWorks, and coming up with new looks and feels. Is there something in the animation community that's really driving this right now? Why, why are we seeing this shift to, to some new styles? I think what's interesting, that there's, if you look at um, animation around the world for the last like 20 years, there's been so many styles even just within like independent kind of short films. And, and there's there's a lot of exploration um, and innovation. I think what's really happening is that studios have embraced that movies don't have to, a, a, an animated movie doesn't have to look one way. It doesn't have to look like CG. And as artists, I mean, I think the, it's amazing the amount of talent we have here at DreamWorks and international talent, people coming from all, all different kind of like walks of life, points of view, art backgrounds. And so it's kind of opened it up to the artists going, ooh, what, what specific inspirations can we pull from to tell this story more specifically? And for me, it's just, it feels like it's in a way, the whole animation industry has gained confidence in knowing they can be a little bit more ex experimental with the looks. And, Mark, and I'd give kudos to um, our, um, Margie Cohen and uh, Kristen, our, our, our bosses here, that they look to the filmmakers and say, what do you want to do? It's not like, here's a house style. What is the movie about? What is the tone of the movie? What fits that tone? And so you definitely feel like it's a filmmaker-led conversation like it was on our film it wasn't and the studio bad saying, guys yeah and bad guys it wasn't studio saying you you we approached the studio and they're like yeah that's exciting let's go for it and so as you have many many different filmmakers and many different types of films being made in animation um at least at dreamworks you get the sense that the filmmakers are leading what is the look of it rather than falling into a house style which you're correct it's really exciting i'm really excited to see the movies coming up and and seeing what they're doing because it's inspiring to all of us well with with puss and boots the last wish uh, there's such a quick pace uh, i feel like uh, <laughs> it, it's really fast paced while still having obviously weighty thematic material in animation it's a, i know it's a pretty time consuming process and medium are you able to find like moments of spontaneity throughout your process oh, i love that you asked that um you know I, I di different like filmmaking teams have different kind of processes of like there can be things that are very planned out for myself i i feel like so animation just by nature of you're creating something out of nothing. There's there's no set. You're creating it from the very beginning. There isn't an actual moment on set where the actors can kind of connect. You're you're trying to create these moments each step so that by the time it arrives in the big screen, it feels spontaneous. And so um, for me, I've always loved improv. Uh, I I took Groundlings improv class when I was in art school. I went over to there and started learning about it. And I, I think in the way we work as a team, we kind of embrace the 
Like we know where we're going, but we don't know how we're going to get there. And there's something fun about, we we know what our story is about. We know what the, the emotion we're hitting, but we surprise each other, make each other laugh and even extend that to like our entire cast. All of the actors not only brought great performances, but they, I think what we were surprised is how engaged, how much they really wanted to be involved in understanding the story. And so we would improvise and really kind of see how far we could take things. And I think you feel that on the big screen. I would like, animation is a very expensive business. So you kind of, what we do is we storyboard the whole movie and put it up and that lays as a template. And then you break that down into sequences and scenes and they go along the path because you don't want to be animating multiple versions of a scene because we we just can't afford to do that. But one of the fun steps in there is the character animation where they get, the scene is laid out for them and then you know a lot of these animators are like actors and one of the honestly it's such a treat for us we'll be going to see an animation approvals and an animator has been cast five or six seven scenes you know and and often what they'll do is they'll actually shoot themselves acting at that moment and they can get really inventive and come up with ideas before they've spent before they've spent a lot of time working on the scene and honestly, you know, Joel's talking is like an improv. Some of the things that come up, they surprise us. They add moments, something we'd never thought about. Um, and we just, we have such a good time there. So the animators still get that chance to kind of surprise us and do something um, new um, that adds to the moment. And that's such a fun step. That's so fun. Well, look, the movie's been out a couple months, so... Um... I think we can talk about spoilers a little bit, okay? Yeah, if that's all right with you. All right, let's dig so, in on spoilers. <laughs> well, I want to talk obviously about the very end of this film, the the far far away sign at the very end. Obviously a clear tease to to the the broader world of Shrek. What's in the works? Uh is that you know with the massive massive success of this film, are there any concrete plans for either another Shrek film or another Puss in Boots? There was, uh, I'll just say, there was an alternate ending that uh, one of the animators did where you saw the far, far away, um, but then the ship started to tilt and sink into the water. We just thought that would be too much of a grim ending. Um, <laughs> it was one, it was, it was funny, uh, Dan Wagner, who animated it, did do this like kind of joke ending for us. Um, <laughs> but no, we, we very much are, um, you know, excited to kind of keep the story re, you know, w- it feels like we've been able to bring back um, Puss in Boots and and in connection Shrek beyond that kind of hopeful feeling of like Shrek's back. We, you know, we don't know where uh, where it's going next. Mark, you got you got any? No, I would just say, listen, um, we're huge fans of Shrek. And, and, and so we were like when we got the opportunity to work on Puss in Boots, it didn't take a lot of convincing. We were super excited to go on it. I think us laying that down at the end is us kind of saying, yeah, let's make another one. Come on, you, you know, and, and and trying to be as encouraging as we can um, because, yeah, we love that world. I can't wait to see where does Shrek go? You, you, you know, it's, um, it, it's funny, you, you know, there's different franchises we've done over the years here, but Shrek is the one that still lives out in the world. You, you know, the fact that there are Shrek raves going, happening, you, you know, which just seems a crazy <laughs> idea to me. It's one that people are still really, it's really important to them. And so if we do a Shrek 
another Shrek film or another Puss in Boots film. We've really got to get it right. And so, you know, a lot of work and thought goes into those things. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I really hope there is another one. I'd love to see Shrek in this new animation style, which would be very fascinating to see. Well, I'll leave you guys with a, a fairly broad question, but I, I hope I hope you can answer it. You know, I think with with general audiences, there can be some confusion when it comes to the roles of, you know, directors and producers in animation. And so I would love to know from each of you, what's your favorite part of your job? And I don't I'm not, I'm not going to let you have a cop out answer of like, see, you know, seeing the whole thing come together. That's great. I know we love seeing the whole movie come together. But like on the day to day, when you're when you're in your office, when you're when you're doing your day to day job, what's what's your favorite part of, of what I'll, you do? I'll jump in first. So the way we made this movie and we had to move very quickly was um, there was Joel and Daniel, the co-director, myself. Paul, the writer, Jim Ryan, the um, the editor, and Heidi Gilbert, the story artist, all together in a room kind of brainstorming what this film is. And it sort of became like a mini writer's room. And it's really, and it's, you know, we worked really well as a team. But then, you know, someone has an idea and someone goes, I don't know, but what about if you did this? And what did I, and it's constantly topping each other, often trying to be funnier than each other. And so that just felt like, Honestly, not that different from growing up with my brothers, you know, you, you know, trying to be who was the funniest in the room, you, you know, trying to top each other's jokes. So I love that on this movie. It's so good. Yeah, I, it's it's one of those things where you can you can spend lots of hours together, be even like lacking sleep and be loopy. And you're just like, how are we stressed but having so much fun? Uh, I, it really and and I'll say um, for me, because I. I totally agree with Mark's answer. Um, there's kind of a cool process we have where when you're making these movies, you're, you'll put it up in storyboards every couple, every few months. Um, and you're trying to get this big picture. Uh, and sometimes you have the actors cut in, but sometimes you've rewritten scenes and you have temporary voices. And one of the, my favorite things is um, we kind of have a, a process where we get, you know, we have like over 400 people who work on this movie. In the DreamWorks Theater, we will get together, watch the movie all together in its very rough state and um, stay afterwards. Because a lot of times people can write notes and they still do write notes and, and send them along of their thoughts. Um, but one of my favorite things is just sitting, We, Mark, myself and Janual, the co-director, would stand in front of the theater and just have like an open forum of like anybody who wants to raise their hand and go, I like this moment or this one's not working. And like we just have this conversation with our entire crew. And that's it, it feels like it's this kind of great thing where you're holding hands and moving forward and still challenging it is and being honest with each other. And it's like that's what I love about animation is you can't do it alone. It's collaborative. And that's awesome. I love it. Those are great answers. Guys, I'll let you go. Thank you so much again for your film. I love it so much. Uh, uh, and I know so you. many people do as well. Congrats on all the success and uh, best of luck. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us. This is awesome, Daniel. See you, Daniel. 
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the director for Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, Joel Crawford, and the producer, Mark Swift, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature Film and is up for your consideration. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.